My name is Chuck, and I have a new life in Christ. I'm in recovery for lust, control, anxiety, and this week, comfort. Hey, guys, good to be with you tonight. I have the great joy of coaching churches across the country that are starting their regen ministries, but I have the particular joy of coaching leaders here that are leading groups. It is such a privilege to be on the front lines of what God's transforming power is doing in the lives of people. And so tonight, we are continuing in a series that we are calling Deja Vu. For some of you last week that were here, and for me, it's a bit of deja vu because I was supposed to be doing this last week. But we had something called a tornado warning, and we're all in bathrooms and bunkers last week, right? And had that moment that we got to share together. But this series that we're doing called Deja Vu, we've been reminded that God has been planning our redemption before the beginning of time. And we've been looking at specific Old Testament examples that foreshadows what Christ is doing and what God is actually doing in Christ. And so tonight, we're gonna look at a specific moment in the book of Exodus that's going to point us to the fulfillment that we have in Jesus Christ. And so as we kind of start that, I'd just like to say to all of us, I don't think any of us wanna suffer. I don't think we sign up to suffer. I don't think that's what we look for. But yet, it is our pain for many, in many cases that have brought us through these doors. We're tired of being sick and tired, and we're tired of carrying the pain. Pain is a primary motivator. Pain is something that moves us to action. And I would say to all of us, as a reminder, God never wastes a hurt in our life. We can, but God never does. See, my former incarceration has been the pain that motivated me to serve in Regen. It's the pain that causes me to lead in prison ministry here at Watermark. It is the pain that motivated me to be used by God, and God has not wasted that hurt. In the book of Exodus, we see that God is using the hurt of slavery in the lives of his chosen people, the Israelites, to draw them closer to him. He uses a man by the name of Moses, and Moses is the instrument through whom God frees his chosen people from their slavery as well as their suffering. There is this prolific event that shows up in Exodus chapter 12 where God is going to do something very extreme, but it's going to alleviate his people's pain and suffering, we commonly call it now the Passover. The Passover is, rela is related to the 10th plague of Egypt, the death of the firstborn. So I want you to listen to these words from Exodus 12. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be assigned for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, and listen to these words, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So earlier in Exodus 12, God gives instructions for his plan of rescue to his people. He says to them, find an unblemished lamb. That is, 
one without spot, one that has no defect. And they were to eat that lamb and then they were to place the blood of that lamb over the doorpost of their homes and it was to be a sign. See, the blood on the doorpost reminds all of us, as Paul said in Romans chapter three, for we've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We were by nature objects of God's wrath, deserving his wrath, which makes him a good God because he will not let the guilty get off free. And as I said, this is the 10th plague. There had been nine other plagues that Israel had been protected in because they were wrongly oppressed. Yet, in this 10th plague, even their guilt is obvious. And so an innocent, unblemished lamb had to die for their sin. For sin, no matter how great or small, requires a payment, a payment that cost something incredibly great. And that someone for us is Jesus, the one who was our substitutionary lamb, Jesus in our place, innocent, perfect, unblemished, our substitute. The lamb in Exodus chapter 12 gives this temporary salvation, but Jesus, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, He is the one that gives eternal salvation. And that is the good news of the gospel. And so late in the midnight hour, God turned the Israelite situation around. God struck down the firstborn in Egypt, both human and animal. And there is not a house in Egypt without someone dead unless blood is on the door. And it was then, And only then in that moment that Pharaoh, the ruler of the Egyptians, finally let God's people go from their bondage. See, God wasn't just rescuing them from some bad thing. What God was doing in this moment was he was freeing them to come and worship him. So I think there's some things that this Passover story speaks to all of us about. There's some things that we can see from this story, some things that God rescues from, as well as some things that God rescues us to. Here's the first one. God rescues us from slavery, and he rescues us to freedom. The Israelites were conscious of their physical bondage, but they were aloof to a very much deeper problem the slavery of sin in their heart that God would deal with in the wilderness. See, Israel thought their greatest problem was Egypt, but God knew something better. He understood their greatest problem was their hearts. The Israelites were supposed to spend 40 days in the wilderness, and it took 40 years. What took one day to free them from physical slavery took an entire generation to free them from idolatry. It took 40 years for God to get the Egypt out of his people. 40 years for that moment to happen. Now here's the truth. None of us are literal slaves, 
But we all wrestle with those idols that seek to control us, the things that seek to be our masters. Second Timothy 2 Timothy or Second Peter 2:19 states, "Whatever controls a man, he is a slave to." So how do you know that you're a slave? It's that thing that you have no control over. It's that thing that is constantly controlling you, and it's why idols make such lousy masters. Friends, listen. Jesus isn't just trying to move us from being bad to good or sinful to sinless. He's taking dead people, and he's making them miraculously alive. He's taking sinful people, and he's gifting them with his righteousness. He is literally snatching people from the evil one, and he is literally bringing them in to this family of God. Jesus saves us from our sin, and he frees us to joyfully serve God and others, which leads to this second idea. God rescues us from despair, and he rescues us to hope. See, despair is the complete loss or absence of hope, and Jesus wants to move us from hopelessness to hopefulness, but our hardships are constantly screaming at us, your suffering is meaningless, it doesn't matter, it's without purpose, therefore, there is no hope. We know this, you and I don't know what people are going through. People don't know what you and I are going through, but here's something we all know about one another. All of us, every single one of us need hope. He wants to bless you so that you can bless those that are around you, so that you can be an instrument of their salvation even through the middle of their issues and difficulties and hardships. They need to know that there is a God that will hear their cry, that will bring them out, that will heal them, that will never falter on his promise. Everybody needs that thing, the book of Hebrews called hope, the anchor of the soul. That thing that keeps us stable when the harsh realities of life are going around us and continuing to create issues for us. My friends, Hunter and Melissa Covington, both went through Regen several years ago. In fact, they met while they were at Regen and fell in love after they had finished Regen. I met Melissa the very day that she got out of a treatment center for a really lifelong meth addiction. And she had this hurt in her heart that had driven everything for the last few years. As a matter of fact, she had lost her two girls due to her drug addiction. She had lost her parental custody, and now they were being placed in another home, placed for adoption. In fact, the, the last time she saw her two girls were on an episode of Wednesday's Child that happens on Channel 8. She saw her two girls being talked to about what it looked like for them to be placed in a forever home. As, re- as Melissa was going through Regen, I was directing a Regen here in Dallas in the Lakewood area that happened on Wednesday nights, and she, she had this, this 
this opportunity every week. We had a prayer box that was at the front of our stage. And we encouraged in, in set groups for prayer to be, to be kind of centered around one another. But we also had this prayer box for those that wanted the staff to be praying for specific issues. They could put it in that prayer box. And Melissa, every single week, would write the same prayer. She would sit there and write, Dear God, please let my girls be okay. Please let them know that their mama loves them. And please... If there's any potential possibility, let me see him someday. I want you to think about this. She put that prayer in that prayer box every Wednesday night for three years. She and Hunter ended up getting married. And it was interesting because a CPS worker found her on social media and saw that she was doing well. The CPS worker called her and said, would you like to see your girls? Would you and Hunter potentially like to raise those girls? And so after this extended process of dealing with legal issues and going through all of those things, Melissa and Hunter got to see those girls. It had been seven years since Melissa had laid eyes on them. And so this last year, The Covington family went before a judge, and a judge sat there and said, you now have not only the court's permission, but you have the court's blessing to raise your girls. I think we've got a picture of them, and if we don't, there they are. God will not waste not one ounce of your suffering. God gives you such a great hope in the middle of life's worst moments. Your suffering is not in vain, Regen. It may feel pointless. It may seem meaningless. But God has a purpose that's working together for your good. You didn't just get protection. You got a person. You got more than a rescue. You got freedom. You didn't get just salvation. You got a Savior. He's more than an idea, more than a moral standard to live up to. He is a person to Behold, a Savior to embrace, a God who will never leave you and never forsake you. He is our great high priest who has been tempted in every way just as we have, yet without sin. And here's the last observation. The Passover lamb is both our sign and our salvation The death of Christ, our Passover lamb, is set forth to this universal problem of sin. It is not one among many ways that God deals with sin. It is the basis by which God justifies every human being. In Romans 1, Paul says that in the gospel, God reveals his righteousness. And what we see in the gospel is that his righteousness is not just a standard he judges us by. But it's a gift that he gives to us. The gospel shows all of us that though we have all turned away from God and we've fallen and and gone after our own selfish, wicked, and corrupt desires, God kept coming after us and even became our Passover lamb 
so that you and I can be redeemed. It's in our worst moments, the moments when that pain drove us through these doors. In our worst moment, God is pursuing us. It was said that during the Passover, that innocent, unblemished lamb would live with the family for a few days before it was slaughtered, and everyone realized why that precious lamb would have to die. Even the, ch the children quickly understood this lamb died because of my sin. When Jesus was crucified nearly 2,000 years ago, it was during the Passover, and that wasn't a mistake, and that wasn't a coincidence. It was this true deja vu moment for all who saw it. It signified that truly the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world has come among us, and the people in that day would have said, wait a minute. We've seen this before. And so when you hear the words freedom, hope, and salvation, today we get to hear how those words have been lived out from my friend, Natalie. Welcome, Natalie, as she comes.